Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this gray, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. One, I don't want to be a jerk, even accidentally. Two, I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up. But three, and this is key, I think acknowledging your mess up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music, which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean, I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now. So why should your present day ears be punished? Because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button. Anyway, without further ado, here's the podcast you came here for. Just slightly better. Thanks for listening. It's the Pages of Popcorns podcast. Jennifer and Kelia will edify you. It's the Pages of Popcorns podcast. Jennifer and Kelia are gonna talk, so you'd better damn well listen. Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast, the podcast where we, Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Today, we will be discussing The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Actually, we'll be discussing the novel, which is called The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and it was written by American writer Stephen Chbosky, and it was published in February of 1999, and as you might have guessed, it was made into a movie with the same title in the year 2012. But first, we are going to tell you all the ways you can connect with us on the internet. As you know, we have a webpage where you can find sources, references, and updates about the show. You can also connect with us via our Facebook page and our Twitter, both searchable by typing Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. And we are on Goodreads, so no matter how you do the social media thing, you can connect with us. And of course, you can email us directly at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. And we want to really encourage you to rate and review us on whatever platform you are using to listen to us on especially iTunes, because that will help other people find us. As always, we want to thank our patrons for their ongoing support. $1 a month or 5 if you're feeling especially generous helps us keep doing this. And we love doing this. On with the show. Do you think I should put Asleep by the Smiths or Heroes by Bowie as the song? Heroes is more fun, and David Bowie is still king of the world. So, yeah, I vote Heroes. Yeah, I usually use a song from the movie. It's just Mm. that, like, the song Asleep was mentioned so many times in both the book, and they did mention it a lot in the movie, even though Heroes was the song in the tunnel. We should discuss that a little bit once we get to the podcast, because that was, like, the song that wasn't named in the book, and they decided to make it Heroes. Yeah. For whatever reason, but, you know, I 
I love David Bowie, so that was fine. It was just, it was supposed to be a landslide by Fleetwood Mac. What do you mean? So when she's doing her tunnel thing, that was one of the things he was like, oh, I feel infinite. So they were listening to that song, but he also has that memory of it being landslide because that was one of her favorite songs. Yeah, but I don't know, oh, but it wasn't really clear. No, it wasn't stated which was the infinite song. Right. They just decided to make it heroes, which it works. It's fine. Yeah. I feel like, and we definitely will talk about this, mm. but I feel like this is one of those times where like sometimes you hear a song and even if the song isn't great because of where you are in your life and what's happening, like that song is so perfect. And then every time you hear it, like you're filled with that same nostalgia and the same feelings, or at least you can remember them. Yeah. Like when I was in the process of getting divorced, there was a song that was called, um, I think I'll move to Boston. I think is what it was called. Mm -hmm. And like, it starts out with this music box playing and it's like, you know, about starting over and changing your life and all of this stuff. And it was like so profound and so meaningful and it made me cry. And I put it on every single mix tape list, song list, song thing, burnt CD for like ages. And like, I listened to it not too terribly long ago and I was like, this song is okay, but it yeah, was perfect for that It moment. was so perfect. And I think that, I mean, basically that's what this whole novel and the movie is about. Like those moments that are perfect for that being those moments right then. Yeah, we should probably get into the synopsis. Yeah, I guess we should. Really, okay, so I like Asleep, but it's slow and kind of down and we have a higher beat going. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Book recap. The book is written as a series of letters from Charlie to an unnamed mystery person. Charlie likes the anonymity of writing to a stranger, uh, someone he's heard about but doesn't actually know. He leaves out enough detail so that the reader won't be able to recognize him. Anyways, Charlie is our narrator. He begins on the eve of his first day of high school, and the book pretty much goes until his first day of sophomore year, a year in the life of Charlie. Charlie starts off high school still reeling from the suicide of his friend Michael. Charlie is a loner and doesn't fit in at school. His former friends are either dead, popular, or have moved away. Charlie has an older sister, a senior, a brother who's a freshman at Penn State and plays football, and parents who get fleshed out as the story progresses. Okay, major plot points for the year in the life of Charlie. His sister has a boyfriend who hits her, and she won't let Charlie tell their parents, so he tells his English teacher, Bill, who sees potential in Charlie and has been giving him outside-of-class reading and attention, but not in the bad, creepy way. His sister is pissed at him, and despite being forbidden, she sees the abusive boyfriend secretly. More on them later. Charlie makes references to the bad times and his stint in the hospital, and then there is still heartache from losing his Aunt Helen, who seemed to be the only member of his family who really understood him. Charlie makes a friend with a boy called Nothing, whose real name is Patrick, and Patrick's stepsister, Sam. They're both seniors, worldwide, into alternative music, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, drinking, smoking, and drugs. They take him under their wing, and through them, he also gets to know Mary Elizabeth, Bob, Alice, and lots of cigarettes and booze and even drugs. Charlie has hit the mother load. One perfect moment is when they drive through a tunnel listening to music, and Charlie feels a sense of belonging for the first time. Charlie is, of course, in love with Sam, but she tells him not to think of her that way, so he tries not to. Patrick is in love and sleeping with the quarterback, Brad, but this too is a secret because Brad is afraid. By the way, during a conversation about first kisses and the fact that Sam has a bit of a reputation from early in high school, it is revealed that Charlie is super unexperienced and Sam was kissed at a young age, and yes, in the bad, creepy way. Sam actually kisses Charlie so that his first kiss will be from someone who loves him, but again, she's dating someone else and Charlie has to hold his feelings for her in check. This all happens at Christmas, where Charlie has gotten everyone the most personal and perfect presents 
And Sam has given him an epic gift of a typewriter because she, along with everybody else, knows that he is going to someday be a writer. But again, she isn't interested in him. Charlie recites a poem to his friends that is super teen angst and nihilistic. They all nod sagely about how profound it is. At a later party, Charlie trips on LSD. He cannot control his flashbacks of Aunt Helen, who died in a car crash on her way to buy him a birthday gift. He ends up in the hospital after falling asleep in the snow. At a Rocky Horror Picture Show performance, Charlie is asked to fill in for Rocky, fill in as Rocky for Sam's boyfriend Craig, who is unavailable. Their friend Mary Elizabeth is impressed and asks Charlie to be her date at the Sadie Hawkins dance. Mary Elizabeth decides after that that they are now a couple. Charlie isn't thrilled with this, but Mary Elizabeth, who sounds kind of awesome, by the way, is a super punk and is steamrolling chatterbox full of ideas and plans of things to expose Charlie to. And she basically steamrolls Charlie with her nonstop talking until he fucks it all up during a game of truth and dare where he, upon a dare to kiss the prettiest girl in the room, does not kiss her, but kisses Sam instead. Drama. Suddenly, Charlie is booted from the warm and fuzzy embrace of his friend group and is all alone again. His sister gets pregnant, and Charlie helps her out by taking her to an abortion clinic and taking care of her. She dumps the loser boyfriend, and she and Charlie start to have a decent relationship. Oh, Charlie's brother is doing well at the football and the cheerleading, dating, and whatever, and who cares? So now, Charlie is friendless, but he still loves his friends. So when Patrick and Brad have an argument at school, and Brad calls Patrick a faggot, and then a brawl ensues, Charlie jumps in and saves Patrick's butt by kicking a ton of macho football player ass. Patrick is properly thankful, and he and Charlie start hanging out a lot. Charlie sees Patrick spiraling and is there for him, even for some boy-on-boy kissing, but only in the friendly way. The friends group has welcomed Charlie back after his bout of violence, and Mary Elizabeth is now dating a college guy who challenges her and blah blah blah. Charlie is starting to realize that all of his friends are going to graduate, and it's starting to really bum him out. He's especially bummed about Sam, who's leaving for a summer college preparatory program, so she has to leave right after graduation, and now she's learned that her boyfriend cheated on her, so she dumps him, thankfully. When Charlie helps her pack, they talk about his feelings for her. She's suddenly angry that he never acted on his feelings, because apparently she forgot that she had told him not to. She, and this is so weird, she chastises him for not being a participant, for not being a good friend, because according to her, he wasn't being honest about his own needs, but damn, I feel like she was in a different book or something, so we'll talk about that. Whatever, they start to make out, and then they start to have sex, and then Charlie freezes up a bit, and then he has a panic attack, so he sleeps on the couch. She go, He has a dream that night that he and the reader both begin to realize that his sexual contact with Sam has stirred up repressed memories of him being molested by his Aunt Helen as a little boy. Yes, in the creepy, creepy way. Sam leaves the next day, and Charlie has a mental breakdown after writing it all down in a letter. In an epilogue, it's months later, and Charlie is writing his last letter to catch us all up. He has been found by his parents in a catatonic state, and does not show any movement despite being hit reluctantly by his father. After being admitted to a mental hospital, it is revealed that Helen actually sexually abused him when he was very young. The memories he had unconsciously repressed. The psychologist the psychologist, ugh, the psychological damage explains his flashbacks and his derealization phases throughout the book. In two months, Charlie is released, and Sam and Patrick visit him. In the epilogue, Sam, Patrick, and Charlie all go through the tunnel again. Charlie stands up, explains that he feels sorry. Charlie stands up and exclaims that he feels infinite. The end. Okay. Pem movie recap. It is very, 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 very much the same. Some scenes were omitted from the film adaptation. In the book, Charlie's parents are notified by Bill that Candace, the sister, is being abused by her boyfriend, to which his parents take direct intervention in their abusive relationship. But in the movie, they don't, because they never know. Also omitted from the film is the side story where Candace gets pregnant by her abusive boyfriend, is accompanied by Charlie to the abortion clinic. 
not in the movie. In addition, one of the most important pieces of the book, the poem, their angsty teenage suicide poem, was deleted from the film. The book has lots more about Charlie's extended family. The movie replaces all that with lots of Catholic imagery and going to church. But all the main plot points are the same. Charlie's alone. He's an outcast. He meets Sam and Patrick, a friend group, adult content, relationships with the wrong girl. Everyone's been abused. Lots of urban legend stories. Teacher Bill is Paul Rudd and, you know, very awesome and married. So, okay, that's fine. No outside lunches. No outside of school lunches at Bill's house, which is probably good. Charlie's parents are much smaller roles, as is his brother. The motivation for Sam and Patrick is spelled out more in the movie because, well, hi, Charlie tells them about Matthew's Sorry. While high, Charlie tells them about Michael's suicide. So their friendship starts as pity and then becomes real friendship. Also, the movie has a whole subplot about Sam needing to retake the SATs and Charlie helping her study. Uh, when Charlie is having his final mental breakdown after Sam leaves in the movie, he calls his sister for help before blacking out. Also, they changed the color of Sam's eyes. Everything else is the same. Ta-da. All right. How did you come to this book and movie? I remember hearing about it because... I had finally gotten cable for the first time, like, late after everybody else. And it was an MTV project. So I heard about it, but never really got into it. And then you suggested it for this, and I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So you saw the movie before reading the book? Nope, neither one. I had avoided all of it. I just heard about it because of MTV and didn't get into it whatsoever. Wait, so you weren't in book club when you read this? Nope. Oh. Yeah. It was pre-Jennifer book club. Yes. So we read this in book club. Okay. Okay, so first time. Yep, I was a wallflower virgin. Like so many wallflowers are. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the people in this book. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I heard about the movie first. I think it was because Emma Watson was in this movie, and she was Hermione in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and this was like a different role for her, and I remember, I think, seeing the preview... I think I think I actually saw the movie, although I don't really remember. But I I know I saw the movie first because when I was reading this book, everybody looked like the characters in the movie. The when I read it the for book club, and I think that was probably the first time that I read it was for book club, which is several years ago. And then obviously I reread it and then watched the movie again for this. So yeah, some exposure. So anything that you want to start off with? Because <laughs> the one that kind of gets to me is is Charlie. On the autism spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I I don't think it's ever, like, explicitly said. And I couldn't find too much about that. But I definitely read it that way. But here's the thing. In 1999, I don't know if... We didn't have a lot of people on the spectrum in books in the 90s, right? Okay. And I think that all those those things that you and I look at and we go, okay, that's a sign, that's a sign, the way he understands things, the way he repeats things, the way he his mind works, we see that pretty clearly as spectrum behavior. I don't know because the author based Charlie off of himself and the author does not um, identify as somebody who's on the spectrum. So my thought is that the author made all of those quirks because of the abuse. Hmm. And so that's a little unsettled. I don't know. So I don't know if he was meant to, but I definitely, definitely read it that way. Um, yeah. yeah and because I, of the abuse. And then also because Michael had been in the, had been committed suicide. And then, so he was like dealing with that. So he was like somebody who had suffered trauma. I feel like the book was saying all of his idiosyncrasies and his issues came from those two traumas, not from maybe a, a neuro difference. 
but I definitely read it as he's neurologically different. So I can see the author trying to go for someone who's disassociated, which is a factor in trauma. But yeah, he totally comes off as somebody who's on the spectrum. Um, and that's a lot clearer in the novel because we get so much of his thoughts. Whereas in the movie, he's just kind of an isolated character. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely got a, a much deeper sense of Charlie in the novel. For sure. But that's also sort of interesting. There, I've, um, I know a number of people who are on the spectrum and you can't always tell, you know, it's right. not Rain Man. And I like having non-neurotypical characters presented in film and books. Uh, I think it's great. And plus we do need to see not all autism spectrum is Rain Man. Oh, right. For sure. And ultimately it doesn't really matter. This is not a book about a spectrum person dealing with trauma. You know what I mean? It, what mm -hmm. it is, is about a book about people dealing with trauma Somebody may or may not happen to also be on the spectrum, but that's not really the point. It's not a major plot issue. Right. Definitely. And that, I don't know, um, did, did you ultimately like this book? Wow. Jumping to the end, huh? <laughs> Are you sure we want to jump to the end? <laughs> well, we don't have to. I just found it somewhat... Somewhat frustrating that there are a lot of topics covered and some really serious ones, but it doesn't feel like they're they're brought up, but they're never really talked about or dealt with. And some of that's fine. I like that Charlie's autism, and we're going to go forward with saying that he's autism spectrum. Yeah, I would that's say much explicit. more probably Asperger's specifically. Well, yeah, so that's a spectrum. Everyone... Autism, but yes, yeah. neurotypical. Yeah, non-neurotypical. Non-neurotypical, yes. So going forth with that, I like that it's just part of his character, but it's not a big deal. It's not a big plot point. I also like that Patrick's homosexuality is part of his character. It's not a major plot point. It's... A, I mean, there are plot points that because There are plot of points it, that because of it, but it's not like we have to make a plot about this or central to that, if that makes sense. Hmm. And I never see lesbian characters who are given that. It's always, like, gay characters. Male gay characters, not female yeah. gay characters. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot more representation, and I think it's because it's confronting a higher taboo in our society. That's a whole huge discussion. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, okay, so let's... You, you said two things that I want to make sure we have time to talk about. Mm -hmm. One is that you feel like it raised a bunch of topics and didn't delve into any of them specifically thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would agree with that to a certain extent. I do feel like it was very um, ambitious. It's like, let's, let me tackle, like there's a list somewhere because of like all the things that this book has. And the Drug list is very long. Abortion, abuse. Yeah, yeah, incest. Uh, yeah, I mean, body imagery. And I mean, just there's tons of stuff, yeah. right? Okay, got it. So, okay. On the one hand, that's life. We all encounter lots of stuff. No, none of us only have one issue, right? So that's like an intersectionality aspect, I feel like. You know what I mean? Especially when you've got like this little group of friends and whatnot. I was okay that nothing got delved in terribly deeply because I also feel like that's also kind of life. Like when you're, you know, the, the, it's not about one particular thing that we're going to like really get into and solve or, or focus on. It's more of a, a survey course. This book is like freshman English class hmm. dun -dun, where you survey all the potential little things and then eventually you're going to get into them more specifically. But a survey class, you're touching on a bunch of different topics. Does that make sense? So I, 
I was okay with that. That didn't actually, that, that part didn't bother me. I did feel like there was an attitude of, well, this is going to be the typical teenage story. So I'm going to put everything I can possibly think that teenagers may or may not ever have gone through into this book. And that was, that bothered me just a smidge because I felt like these aren't typical teenagers, but maybe they just because I wasn't this, like, I would not have fit into Charlie's little group. There so. are certain things that you don't need to go that much into to be able to read what's going on. So when Patrick and Brad have their fight, that was kind of fine because you can read into everything that's going on. You can read into the pain. But when it came to the sister's abortion, it was like that happens and Okay, so that's a thing that happened. And if you took that out of the book, would it have changed anything? Well, actually, I think it does. They took it out for the movie. It yes. wasn't there in the movie. But then they made the choice to, in the movie, when Charlie is upset at the end, right before he has his mental break, he calls his sister. And that really didn't feel like it made sense to me. Because he didn't have a relationship with his sister, really, in the movie. The way he did in the book. In a the lot book, of that's taken out. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. In the book, we have, and, and part of their relationship building was this shared experience of him being there for her and him taking care of her. It wasn't just that he knew, it like she chose to tell him, you know, she confided in him, even though he had broken her quote unquote trust before by narking on the abusive boyfriend, right? So, like, that there's layers to that relationship and then he doesn't just drive her there and drive her home but like he brings a pillow and he like turns the heater on in the car so that she can take a nap in the back seat and then you know he lies when they get home like to cover up for where they've been and they and they they've become like a little unit of you know not telling her parents and stuff so that relationship felt really good and i liked that it was like charlie isn't just about his friends his family was a major part of the book like we had all this stories about his extended uncles and his grandfather and his racist grandfather and this and that and the other thing we had charlie's understanding of why his family was it way my grandfather, you know, my grandmother was sad. She married this guy. He was mean. He hit mm -hmm. my mom. He hit my sister or my mother's sister, Aunt Helen. That's why my mom is really sad. And then when his dad is like, we decided we would never hit you guys because, you know, so like there's all of this framework, this, this foundation of that, which obviously they didn't have time for in the movie. And I, okay, that's fine. But because it was all there, it made Charlie's whole world much richer and deeper. And so I felt like it, that like, the abortion scene was important. I'm, I'm, glad it was there i don't feel like it could have been lifted out to get the full sense of charlie and his world it felt like it could have just because it's a thing that happens and it does bring them closer together so it changes the relationship that he has with his sister but you know if she had one conversation about it it would have taken it to a new level so if i compare this to other ya novels like you know stuff john green writes or the hate you give it, one conversation adds a lot more depth and context to what's going on. So she has an abortion, but you know she doesn't ever reflect on that. And that's why it feels like it's just this tiny little thing well, that happens. I disagree with that because okay. she does reflect on it because she starts reading all these self-help books. She changes her life because of that abortion. She, she breaks up with the guy. She tells the guy that it was a mistake. So it's not because the abortion that they broke up, but it's because of his reaction and her realizing that this is not a good relationship. She starts reading self-help novels. She's changing. She gets back into school. She finishes second in the class. Like she has a character arc. And I think it's important that Charlie sees that. It's not just about Charlie. It's, a, it's about the whole context. And I think that for a book that's very masculine in some ways it's important that we have a female foil so it's not just sam and charlie and aunt helen 
and his mom. We also have, you know, Mary Elizabeth and we have his sister. And his sister is like the other side of Sam, really. And I, I so I see a lot of parallels between the two of them because both of them had the wild, crazy early on in high school. They both had a little bit of reputations and they're both with loser boyfriends. You know, um, Sam's boyfriend is cheating on her. She doesn't know that, but he is not nice. You know, like we all know that. Even she knows that. And Candace, Charlie's sister, her boyfriend hits her. And but she can control him a little bit. But there's this weird power dynamic going on over there, which is probably residual from the fact that, again, like everybody in the family knows that the mom had been beat as a child. And like, so like there's all of this stuff. And then how they react to that and what what they do, you know, Sam gets into a good college, the college of her choice. Charlie's sister finds her way back to getting good grades and, you know, graduates second in the class and gives a speech and like all of this stuff. And so... I, yeah, no, I think they're I'm very important. happy with their character arcs. I'm not complaining about that. What I'm complaining about, and I wish it wasn't friend, like, it's always a complaint, but it feels like there's something lost without having a little bit more of a direct conversation with the audience about that. Okay. I disagree, but that's okay. okay. So, yeah, the character arcs are fine. I want something more, you know, Okay, so you had an abortion and you're reading self-help books. Have a conversation with Charlie about, okay, this is kind of something I sort of figured out. You know, just something to add a little bit more depth to it. Because otherwise it's just a thing that kind of happens. Well, I think it... I, okay, we can disagree. I, I found it very believable that, that you go through these things together and you don't always have that. Now let's have tea and have a deep conversation about what we've learned. You know, what was our... What did we learn today? No, I think it's... It doesn't have to be like one of those conversations of, oh, what did we learn? That, that's really artificial. But that's why I mean. I, I see other YA novels who are able to do that better. Okay. I don't like comparing novels. Okay. Sure. Anything else that you <laughs> didn't okay. like about this book? <laughs> no, I was just going to say about comparing. Uh, there's that little scene where the boyfriend says, poetry writes me. And I thought of your poetry falcon. He needed a little poetry falcon. He did need a poetry book. falcon. Yes. Because he was good. a tool. He was a tool. They did a good job of showing that in the movie, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what do you want to talk about? Um, the other thing that you referenced earlier that mm-hmm. I just touched on briefly was the, how women are depicted. And specifically women in terms of love I and mean, talk about masculine love too but i think that they're they're dealt with slightly differently so it's the it's the women who are they're they're all victims all the women in this book are victims of something right um except for maybe mary elizabeth yeah um i'm trying to think of who isn't a victim in some way and there's like the teacher and the father sort of but they're they're I'm not gonna say they're minor characters, but their their character arcs are really yeah. background. Well I mean I mean all of the other minor characters I mean Bob is not a victim, Peter's not a victim, Craig is an asshole. Like you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But and Brad and, is a victim. I'm sorry? Brad is a victim. Brad is a victim, Patrick yeah. is a victim, for sure. Um but they are I guess I would say they're they're Brad is definitely a victim. Patrick is a social victim and he's got the, you know, he's gay and he's closeted and all of this stuff for sure. But like, I'm talking specifically like parental victims of parental abuse, right? Or, you know, because Sam's father's boss kissed her when she was 11. Like, so she was abused as a child. Okay. Charlie was abused as a child. Aunt Helen and Charlie's mom were both beaten as children. Mm -hmm. You know, you have all of this, this ideas. And that's, 
And it makes the, I mean, the book had, I think, two really good lines. Unfortunately, I feel like one of them was used to, to explain away why, and in the case of the conversation, it definitely felt like it, why women choose bad relationships. You know, why, why is Candace with this guy who hits her? Why is Sam with a guy who's a dick? Why is... Is that the, you get the love you des- think you deserve? Yeah, people accept the love they think they deserve, which is pretty valid, right? For the, for yeah, sure. It's just turned into such a Tumblr meme. Okay, but that's not the fault of the book. <laughs> no, it's just... Cliches are cliches for a reason. So, you know, and that that is true, you know? And so I that was cool, but it was... It was framed in this Charlie's asking that question because of his sister, because of Sam, because he has this knowledge of his mom and his aunt and stuff like that. And so that's really that's really sad. Um, I can also say that in terms of Brad and Patrick, too. Because Patrick is taking in the movie, he's not nearly as closeted as he is in the book. And so he is openly gay. He does make gay jokes and this and that. But he accepts a closeted clown. Yeah. But he accepts a closeted relationship. With somebody who has massive issues with this. Mm-hmm. Out of fear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very sad as well. So there's so much abuse. And I, I like that to me is one of the things that I didn't like about this book was that everybody was, you know what I mean? And on the one you can say, well, in the real world, Kalia, everybody is. But you know what? No, <laughs> that's not actually true. Not everybody has been improperly touched as a child. Like it happens and it's awful. I'm not downplaying it, but. I, just, I thought it was more interesting because the sister, like, Charlie and the sister, their parents are fine, but it's a generational thing. So even if their parents weren't abusive, there's that, that abusive nature in the family that they have in the extended family. Mm-hmm. And she does see that. Even if her parents aren't doing anything, it's still there when they go visit the grandfather who's this raging, racist, homophobic jerk. Yep, and all the Iowa cousins who, or Ohio cousins, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so who she call still sees that and... behavior being modeled. Yeah, well, and like, like, like the first five or six things we hear about Charlie's mom is, and then my mom got real quiet, or my mom was really quiet, and you're like, dude, what's up with the mom? And then she it, was then almost it, invisible in the movie. Then it gets explained. Okay, she was, you know, blah blah blah. But yeah, no, she was hardly there in the movie. So it's just, yeah. Anyways. So, okay, but how people deal with love, you have the romantic love versus the platonic love versus, you know, okay, friendship love. So do you think this book did a decent job of, of showing friendship love and versus platonic love? I believe so. Um, and I did have a lot of uh, your similar feelings when it came to Sam towards the end of, well, you don't participate. And it's like, oh, you're, he's respecting your boundaries. You told him a thing. Seriously, and... And he does participate. He bought everybody like the best presents ever. He attends things. He goes to things. He got up on stage in Rocky Horror. He reads books and writes essays. And like, I, what the hell more do you want from him? For goodness sakes. Like, I, I was fine with Sam until toward like the very end. And then I was like, oh my God, get your head out of your ass. Like, what is your problem? And they downplayed it a little bit in the, in the movie. Like, because in the movie, she never says to him, don't like me like that. She doesn't say that to him. You know, and their little fight at the end is not the same at all as it is in the book. And the book is uncomfortable to read. She's like raking him over the coals and then they're going to have sex. Right. Like it just. Yeah. It's like, okay, so Sam, you're processing your own shit, but leave Charlie out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was that was very strange. I didn't I didn't like that. Grumble, grumble. And just because you're quiet and 
observing doesn't mean you're not also a participant. So yeah, that kind of got to me. I liked it when he went to the mall and he's making all these observations about people. Yes. And it is fascinating. And if he wants to be a writer, that's what you do. Yeah. You do observe people and that is participating in your life. That is like trying to figure out how people are and how things work. Seriously. He, he, even at the very beginning and I think the movie actually did a better job of showing this a little bit, although I still think it's pretty faulty, is that like very early on, Charlie's teacher Bill says, you don't participate. You you know, you just watch, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Bill, how the fuck do you know? You're in one class with him. He doesn't raise his hand. Like, so maybe he's tired. Maybe he doesn't want to be the teacher's pet. Like, he's not participating in life. Like, what what, what the heck? In the movie, it was like Bill was asking questions of the class and Charlie was writing down the correct answer, but not raising his hand. And again, like, oh, that's not participating. No, man, that's like maybe not making yourself a target, says the girl who used to get made fun of when she answered all the questions in school. And there is a lot of explicit. He's getting picked on constantly. Seriously. He doesn't even do anything. He just sits down and the girl next to him in that class makes fun of him. Yeah, she was... She's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) what the heck? And then in the book, when he tries, like at the end of the school year, he like talks to the boy next to him in his locker. He's like, hi, my name is Charlie. And the kid's like, I know. And then walks away. And I was like, well, if I was Charlie, I wouldn't talk to that (laughs) asshole either. Like, good. Grave. Although it is this freaking self-perpetuating thing because all of his friends are seniors. He's literally going to start his sophomore year with nobody. So I'm not feeling overly optimistic for Charlie here. Like, what's he going to do? I also I have <laughs> friends who are introverts. My mom's an introvert. And it is painful for them to have to deal with people too much. Yes. And I, I, I thought that was just really unfair of it's okay for people to be introverts. Introverts out there is okay. Yes. If you need to have your solitude, that is fine. It doesn't mean you're not participating in your own life. Exactly. And you know what? Sometimes the best thing that can happen for an introvert is an extrovert finds them and adopts them. And sometimes the best thing for an introvert is that they sit quietly next to another introvert and not have a conversation. And that's both okay. Yes. It's both okay. I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you've caught that. And I like to adopt the random introvert. Ashley. And that's okay. They love me. I love them. Okay. Moving on. Okay. (sighs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So um, something that I think the movie did really good was tapping into this idea of the... Yes. Something I think the movie did really well. The movie did a good job at tapping into the, the music nostalgia. Yeah. And the music was good. The soundtrack is good. I love, okay, I love these group of nonconformists the literally punk. doing, yeah, well, yeah, so she was a Buddhist, Buddhist punk in the in the movie. That, okay, so Mary Elizabeth, I thought, got a bad rap. I liked her so much. And then she is played by an actress whose name I don't know off the top of my head, but she's right now, she's in Good Girls, and she was also in Parenthood, and she's amazing, and I love her, and she's super cute, and oh my god, I'd totally forgotten, because I didn't know who she was when I saw this movie the first time, but now that I'm, you know, watching it now, I was like, I love her so much, she's so good. Anyways, Mary Elizabeth, I thought she was going to be a lesbian when we started the book, and then she wasn't, and I was fine, I'm okay with that, but... Also, like, the actress I really liked, she wasn't, like, the standard super skinny emo girl. It's like, she's still awesome. I get that her chatting was a little irritating for Charlie, 
Because if you are an introvert, that does start to worry yeah, you. You got to be careful, introverts out there, about the extrovert who adopts you. Sometimes the extroverts who adopt you don't really want to adopt an introvert. They just want to adopt a lump of clay that they can talk at. So just just beware. Yeah. So part of that, I just thought that she was kind of young and she needs her own challenges. And for sure, there there is this ongoing theme of people not appreciating the gifts you give them. So the sister gets the album from you know crazy ponytail boyfriend. And she's like, oh, here, Charlie, I don't even want to listen to it. And the mixtape. Yeah, yes. and that's how he discovers Asleep by the Smiths. It turns out to be really good. And just not accepting the gifts that are thoughtful, that were, like, somebody really cared about you enough to do this thing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a motif of that. And she wouldn't read Walden. She was kind of like, oh, whatever, your book. Well, that's because she's part of that little group where it's cool to be better than all that. It's cool to be jaded and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean... Come on, we all knew Mary Elizabeth in high school. Okay. <laughs> Some of us were maybe Mary Elizabeth in high school. Um, <laughs> no, nobody in this room, of course. So I I have a bit of a Mary Elizabeth when I'm like, oh, you're reading that book. But I expect that to turn into a conversation. Okay, I literally got called out on that on our Facebook page the other day. I was like, hey, Pages and Popcorn podcast audience, like the summer, blah, blah, blah. What are you reading? And somebody legitimately wrote in and said, I'm scared to tell you because you're going to crap all over it. And I was like, oh, and then my feelings were hurt for a minute. I was like, that's not true. There's lots of books I like. And they're like, yeah, name one. And I was like, okay, well, here's some books I read recently that I liked. And I was like, God damn it, people. I resemble that remark. Yeah. A lot of the time I don't want to judge people's reading. Like if you really love romance or Westerns or whatever, and you just want popcorn fiction, that's fine. Read what you want. Um, that said, I do make fun of somebody I know who reads a lot of Ayn Rand. Cindy, <laughs> hi. How are you doing, Cindy? <laughs> oh my god, this is like the name-dropping episode. <laughs> who else of my friends can I bring in? <laughs> no. Yeah, okay, it is, it, is, it is hard when you feel passionate about something to not, you know, we all need to learn from Mary Elizabeth to not be so... It, it's not cool to be jaded. It just, it isn't. And in high school, it is. In high school, it's cool to be jaded. You're like, whatever, I've read that. I've done that. I'm better than that. I, I look beyond that. I'm a nonconformist because I'm not on the pep squad, but I'm going to sit around every Friday night and drink because I'm such a nonconform. I'm a rebel with my, you know, pot. Oh my God, you guys. Seriously. So that hypocrisy, or not hypocrisy, that, is it hypocrisy? It's the... Cynicism? Well, I was going to say, like, when you think you're being really cool and you're actually not, like, <laughs> that misunderstanding of life is, is very teenage, right? All teenagers, I'm going to say, most teenagers think that they're the first ones to have experienced this or to go through this or to, like, my parents just don't understand and, like, our generation is da 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 It's a really important stage in, in For that sure. Part, part Charlie realizes, though, that they're not unique and special. Like, other big, other kids, like, his parents sat at the big boy and had conversations and, like, their parents before them and his kids probably will, too. And, like, like he sees, like, this kind of the timeline thing about it, you know, how we're all just like little specks in the, that's just kind of cool. And usually you get there when you've had a couple okay. things to, so, to piggy tail on that of how, you know, especially unique, how many high school cliches were in this movie? Oh, all the so, cliches. like the school dance or it was a choreographed little dance that they had. Yes. And living like, room routine, mm-hmm. living room routine. 
Which is cute. It's ridiculous. But it was cute. Okay. And I, it's not bad to be critical sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what just, I feel, just to say. I feel like the characters of Sam and Patrick, we've talked about the idea of the Mary Sue. Like, it's so perfect that it's annoying. Like, they were so perfect. In, in, in some, like, they were both flawed. They both had their things, like Sam, whatever, and with her, don't like me, like me, whatever. And Patrick had, you know, depth because he was gay and he had this secret romance and he, you know, went through some sadness and like all of that stuff for sure. They weren't like one dimensional. But I mean, if you wrote, my sad little freshman character needs to be adopted by somebody cool. That's Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're Manic Pixie Dream Friends. <laughs> Oh my god, they are. They are Manic Pixie Dream Friends. They are. We're gonna just randomly adopt you at a football game for no reason at all. And at least in the movie, they like said, okay, he said his friend died. And then like, so they felt bad for him. And then it kind of was allowed to grow and change. But I'm sorry, I remember being a senior. Like you wouldn't just like, maybe it was me. I wouldn't just adopt a random freshman and then be like, yes, now we're all best friends forever and ever. Although, you know, so you have to wonder like, what was their motivation? That's why I thought- I think the thing- the Mary Elizabeth kiss was so interesting and they completely isolated Charlie and they know he's got a history. They know he's alone. That's why they adopted him. Right. And that is really painful. So I felt for Charlie and that whole rejection business. For sure. Cause teenagers are assholes, but like what I felt what the thing, what it feels like to me, it was a lot of um, performative stuff. Sam and Patrick, their awesomeness was very performative. We do Rocky Horror. We do the living room routine at the school dance. We are these people. This is who we are. And we, this is how we see ourselves. We're going to take care of this little freshman. We're doing all of these things. And it's it's very, I mean, I think it ultimately it became more than just surface. But it, it kind of started that way. And so then it was easy for them to reject him and like cut him out completely until he what? Uh, performed an epic feat you know, of bravery and machonism and beat the shit out of some football players who were, you know, tag teaming on Patrick and not in the good way. Well, I and thought, like, the Rocky Horror was his big feat. The fight That's when they forgave him, though. They yeah, forgave him and welcomed him. him back because of his big, you know, because of that. But yeah, but he did get more accepted into the group after he performed in Rocky Horror and was willing to be stripped down to nothing but a little gold undies and all of this stuff, which, okay... So, but that is what teenagers are. It's very performative, right? I totally know drama school kids who are like that. I don't even think you have to be in drama school kids to be performative. I mean, I remember at one point being like, I love this song. And my mom was like, what's it about? And I was like, I don't know. That's not the point. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Because I knew she didn't like it. And so it didn't matter what the song was about. She she didn't like it. She rolled her eyes. And I suddenly loved that. It was The Offspring, by the way. So, um, yes, (laughs) teenagers (jerks) (laughs) jerks <laughs> so i think the book did a good job of, of all of that it's not a perfect book by any means but i i, I it was in, it was decent i felt like it kind of was trying to do too many things which is you know what you said earlier it didn't overly bother me but uh, yeah it, especially towards the end i was reading it and I had read it, like I said, years ago and seen the movie years ago. And I was reading, I was like very close to the end. And I was actually having lunch with Ashley. And I said, 
I've could have sworn there was this thing with his aunt, but like it hasn't happened yet, and I'd forgotten that it was like at the end. it's so shoehorned in yeah. at the end, and then I feel like he went back and like added a couple of pebbles along the way to get us there because we needed a climactic thing, and just back into the world of Bridget Jones. Remember when we talked about how she's writing in her diary? She's like, oh, I'm so drunk. I'm falling over. I'm laying on the floor. Oh, I just blah, 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 blah. And you're like, you're not really writing this down because that's not how people work. I felt that way with Charlie in the last letter. He's like, I'm having a mental breakdown. I'm going catatonic, but I'm going to write pages and pages to explain to you, my friend, what's happening. And then I'm going to mail the letter. <laughs> then I'm going to go, like, Then I'm okay. going to sit on the couch naked and go into my And go into my talk. Here's the thing. I lived through a traumatic incident. I've lived through a few, but one in particular, I remember very clearly was lying there and I had this thought, I think I'm going to just become hysterical. I think I could just tip forward into this chasm and just scream and maybe never stop. Like this was my thought. And then I thought, Galia, if you're aware that you're on the ledge and you're choosing whether or not to fall into that chasm of screaming and never stop screaming, then you can't do that. You 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 don't have that excuse because that's making a choice. So if you're aware enough to know that you're making a choice, then you can't say, oh, I was swept away. And I, I, you know what I mean? So I had to make a choice. And I was like, okay, I need to get up. I need to clean myself off and move on with life. And so I feel like when characters do this in books, they're like, I'm going to have this huge mental breakdown, but I'm going to take the time to write about it first. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you stop to write a letter when you were going through your traumatic phase? <laughs> right, a long letter full of direct quotes. I, yeah, and so that that takes you out of it a little bit. And then and then again, it gets back. I feel like it's very performative. Like, because let's, let's be honest here. These letters, this is, he's not the most reliable narrator. Nope. He presents himself, and because he's the observer and he's the wallflower, it's very easy to be like, of course, he's totally accurate. But he's not, because we're only getting his stuff. Yeah, that's why both of us can look at, wait a second, Mary Elizabeth is actually pretty cool. You just don't, aren't meshing because you don't mesh, but that doesn't take away from her coolness. Right. It's you being unreliable. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and, and you know what? Who the hell is he writing to? Yeah, it's just, you know, hey, friend. Friend. And because you didn't sleep with that person at that party that one time, even though you could have. And I'm like, okay, so it feels like you've got like an urban legend story from maybe your sister or your brother, because they're the people who went to parties. So, but like, I don't know. And like, why even have that part? Because you're the kind of person who didn't sleep with that person at that party when you, I mean. So obviously you're very sensitive. I maybe but like it just it's like a weird detail to, to put in to i don't know whatever i would have almost rather this had been the diary and not a i don't know so part of what got me and this is not to invalidate anyone who has gone through similar experiences and had these reactions and i am not a psychologist but from personal experience there was a lot of this is an author making up something for drama, not something for psychological realism. And that kind of bothers me because it is some really serious stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that part of it just made me cringe. Um, there, there are certain things that I really, really hate seeing in novels that are done because the author's lazy. Mm-hmm. So I hate when something like child abuse or rape is a backstory so a character can whinge at a right time. 
Because those have effects. Those have ongoing effects. And if you don't write about it correctly, you are doing a disservice to people who actually go through these kinds of things. Agreed. So that part of the novel is like, uh, you, you don't know what you're really talking about. So mm, maybe maybe do some research or maybe stay away from it. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't need it to be the bingo book of, you know, all the things. Yeah. So Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye. I, I could not get away from it, and it was the style. So I know a lot of people have compared this. I found this out after reading the book and mm-hmm. looking up about, you know, you know, people who write about this and that. It was just the, you know, really, I did. Really, this happened. It was very, very this whatever. And really, yeah. that was how it was. It was I kept waiting for the word phony. <laughs> yeah. I was just oh, like, but oh, it would have been 1999. It would have been fake, right? <laughs> so it turns out that, yes, that was one of the author's favorite books. Yes, yeah. he based a lot of his writing style off of that. Is well, no clear. kidding. Yeah. I did think that um, Bill's list of books that Charlie read throughout the year was interesting, especially from a for a freshman. Well, the Fountainhead, why would you why would you do that to oh. a poor child? I know. Okay, we're judging again, but that's okay. Okay, I, there aren't that many books I will judge. I will judge that. I will judge Ayn Rand and you know the Fifty Shades well, of Grey. And so stuff. I mean, like, if you get into it, like, why was Bill giving him those books? And they all seem to be really mirrored in what was going on and like mm. all of this stuff but Bill didn't know what was going on because you know what I mean so I it just it seemed very convenient I like the little side plot with his brother when he's talking about his cheerleader girlfriend he's like well she likes Walden and she does this and she's not this shallow little thing that you want to make her out because you want to be this pretend feminist yeah, he's yelling at his, his own sister. Yeah. yeah, about that. I was like, that, that was kind of cool. And that was when Charlie was reading Walden and he wanted to connect with his cheerleader. <laughs> right. And then, of course, his brother broke up with her. Yeah. So, like, you have to kind of wonder if she really was, you know, but in the But this kind of also goes whatever. into gifts that are not understood, where the brother goes back and does read the essay at the end. He's like, yeah, that was actually pretty good. Right. And, and Candace does listen to the tape, the mixtape, and yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, that is a good tape. Because there is a big thing about him giving, like, the perfect gift to everybody. Yes. I, I like Patrick's line in the movie of, stop eating Christmas! Yeah! <laughs> just enjoy it! <laughs> so, I didn't hate the novel. I just, there, there are certain things that annoyed me. Um, and one of them is, to me, it's, it's the unforgivable sin of trying to write about trauma without really understanding it. I enjoyed the novel. You know, I do think it was doing a lot, trying to do a lot. I'm okay with that because I think that was kind of the point. Teenagers try to do a lot. Teenagers try to understand a lot. Um, I think it's a good starting off point for a discussion, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have teenagers. It's like, okay, well, here's a serious topic. Let's actually talk about it and put it into context, which the novel should have done more of. But if you were going to teach it in class, it's one of the top three banned books. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they keep trying to move it into adult literature instead of YA literature. And it's totally YA. Well, yeah. Yeah. YA it, characters it, doing YA things. There's it. even a love triangle. Teenagers do stuff. <laughs> you know, let them at least have an adult who's responsible to go, all right, let's put this into context. Let's talk yeah. about what's going on. Let's look at the character arc and what's really good for them at the end. And, and I, I do feel like the book is very timeless. Like, you know, it doesn't. It's it doesn't age badly because there's very little in it that is time specific, you know. Um, well, yeah, the music is a little bit, but that's but nostalgia. That, that's, that's nostalgia, and it's 
you know, and they made the movie 12, 13 years later, and they changed the music, some of it, but some of it was the same. They still had a sleep because there are some songs that are just classic, apparently, you know, and they're always going to speak to teenagers. <laughs> so, I, but I love the idea of the mixtape. Okay, so it yeah. was mixtapes, which in the 90s were still a thing, although there it was CDs too at that time. It was getting more into CDs, but we still did mixtapes. I did a lot of mixtapes. <laughs> I received a lot of mixtapes. And then it was playlists. And well, no, first, I'm sorry, it was burnt CDs. Right. I still have a lot of burnt CDs. And so do my sisters. Like one year for Christmas, I made everybody a CD with songs like that was my gift. Um, and then it was playlists, like specific playlists for specific things and days and times and dates and people and blah, blah, blah. And I even did weird ones like this playlist is all about songs about color. This playlist <laughs> is all songs I like to sing in the shower. This, you know, whatever. And you still do that. Spotify is all about playlists. But so, the thing about it is like Spotify, you just click a couple buttons. You know, with the burn CD, you you shuffle over a few songs and you're done. Mixtapes took work. Oh my God. Yeah. That took effort. Well, and sometimes you had to like quest the song on the radio and then wait till they played the song. So then you could record it. So you'd miss the beginning or you'd miss the very end or you'd, or you would just record straight up and you'd have to like cut out the commercials later. And then I loved in the movie where he's recording and like it stops in the middle. I'm like, oh boy, I feel you. Cause I, and you had to time it right. Yes. Because yes. otherwise you'd have like this weird like three minutes of silence at the end or right. you know, you'd have a song cut off, which is really frustrating. So back in the day, kids, making mixed tapes was a labor of love. And that's, <laughs> you have it easy nowadays, you it, it with your feels, punk rock and your video games. It feels like adults watching this is kind of nostalgia because, oh yeah, I remember making mixtapes. tapes. Or is the kids today, which is a phrase I normally really hate. <laughs> you know, do they have any understanding of like the effort it took to you know to make a mixtape? Is that something that's kind of lost? There are a couple things that are lost in translation here. A few things, but for the most part, I think that it did a, a decent job, and, yeah. and and the ideas are big enough and universal enough to you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be nice if. When my child is a teenager and early, you know, adulthood, if she were to watch this, she goes, oh, my God, why is Brad afraid of his dad? What What is people didn't like gay people like that is so crazy, mom. Like, I would love if we were there in 10 to 15 years. I don't know if we'll get there. But there are some things that I'm OK with us as a society, maybe moving away from and having it kind of feel oh, yeah. dated. But the mixtape thing did not. So, yes, yeah, kids are just still adorable. You know, kids still get a lot of crap from their parents if they are you know, LGBT, but it seems like the rate of children being thrown out of their homes is less than it used to be. And that isn't to say it doesn't happen. And it's, it's not tragic. It's just, I, I, societal acceptance is, is becoming more predominant. Societal acceptance is becoming more dominant. I don't know about the statistics because the last time I did read statistics for that, it was still like 40% or something ridiculous yeah. and there's a lot of like the, the suicide rates are yeah. so high in lgbt teens and that was very sad to watch patrick spiral and charlie doesn't know how to deal with that it was interesting because like charlie sees somebody hit his sister he he knows that that's wrong he tells an adult like he understands Charlie sees Patrick spiraling, having unprotected, you know, dangerous sex, yes, I was so doing drugs, doing all of these things. And Charlie doesn't know what to do. So he just tags along. And on the one hand, that's frustrating. You're like, do something. 
And on the other hand, you're like, but I understand because you're still a kid. Charlie's yeah, like 15. He's a teenager and doesn't know what to he do. He doesn't know what to do. And then thankfully, Patrick was able to turn it around on his own. So good. But my God, how close that could have, you know, really easily well, gone the other direction. And you don't know what future consequences might come mm-hmm. out of this that aren't known in the book mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end. And yeah, I was terrified for Patrick the entire time. I, was like, I really oh feel God. like Patrick's story got wrapped up way too fast and easy, yeah. too. Yeah. But there was a scene that was missing from the movie that I really liked in the book. And that was when they're going to the family holiday and the brother talks about the sister and, and makes that comment about the boyfriend who hits her. And the father stops the car. Like, everyone is jerked for it. They almost all get whiplash. And he turns around and he stares at the brother. And then he turns around and he stares at the sister until they apologize. And then Charlie has to drive. Mm -hmm. And it's Charlie as the glue of the family. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the one... Because cars are really important in this. There are a lot of independence. But at that point, Charlie's taken over, even if he's terrified to do this. And it's a great metaphor for teenagerhood when... You're not really ready to take on a certain adult aspect, but that is part of becoming independent. That is part of becoming an adult. Mm -hmm. So that scene I wish had been in the movie. Yeah, I agree. That would have been a good scene to be in. I thought they did the fight fairly well. But see, they left out the whole abortion thing, so they would have had to put that in, and then it would have, yeah. Because, like, the sister gets hit, and then almost nothing happens in the movie. And so that, to me, was... I get it. You can't have everything. Right. And then, have and then she stag. just breaks up with him for, you know, yeah. and then she's going stag to prom with her girlfriend. You're like, okay, like, sure. Where did... So you talked about how in the movie or in the book, you didn't feel like we got her less and her thing and the... <laughs> wasn't there at all. Yeah. And the... Which is, again, why I thought it was so weird that Charlie called her. Like, why did he call her? Like, why didn't he call Patrick? You know? I mean, it felt like, yeah. Why? But his sister... But in the movie, we didn't have a foundation of them having a good relationship mm-hmm. like we did in the book. In the book, if he had called his sister, it would have made perfect sense. So, so not a perfect book, but definitely, I would say it, it's worth your time, especially as a teenager when you're trying to figure things out. Yeah, I would say it's worth your time even if you're not a teenager because, you know, it's it's still worth reading. And it's it's enjoyable. It, it's You know, you're interested. You keep reading. For all of its faults, I definitely... I'm glad that I read it. And the movie, I think, did a, did a good job of what it was trying to do. It, it had picked a couple of the main things, and then it worked really well at them. And I thought it was shot beautifully. I thought the casting was yeah extraordinary. I was going to say, I liked the fight scene. I liked how that was done, where you don't actually have a lot of the violence from Charlie on screen, but you do have that same reaction that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, again, like we talked about with Fight Club, where it's the... The spectator's response to the violence mm. clues us in to how we should be feeling about and the violence. And his hand all bruised up. Oh, yeah. So Well, and in the book, I, you know, like, it, you know, and then it even says, you know, if you touch my friend again, I'll blind you. And they're like, yep, yes, he will. And <laughs> he did something that they did were that, like, okay, yeah. They were like, holy do that. crap. Yeah. He took, what was it, four football players? Yeah, and he won. Yeah. So, yep. Go Charlie. Go Charlie. I hope Charlie does well as a sophomore. <laughs> I'm a little worried about Charlie, honestly, as a sophomore. But uh, Bob will still be around. Bob's the, you know, pothead guy who just lives, you know, nearby. So it'll be a whole new, a whole new crop of Yeah, the kids. teacher's staying. So even though Charlie won't be a student, you know, yeah, he'll be around. He'll, his, be, he'll be a friend. His, need. Yeah. But his siblings will be gone. It'll be just him and his parents. It'll be a lot of quiet dinners, I'm imagining, in Charlie's future. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so there we go. Any? I think I think we did it. Um, I didn't even look at my notes. Thing, I really oh. love Patrick's clock in the movie. Oh God, it was so good. <laughs> I love when, when the and the teacher was like, um, and he goes, if you fail me, I'll have to have me next semester. And the teacher's like, pass. <laughs> it was so good. I love Patrick in the movie. Yeah, that that actor did a really good job. And he was so cute. Very cute. Okay. There right. we go. Well, this was a fun back to from back to school. So back to school, everybody. <laughs> starting starting whether you're starting your freshman year, your sophomore year, your senior year, or some year. It doesn't have a number because you're in college. Um, we hope you have a good school year. Yes. There we go. All right. And thanks for listening. <laughs>